You're listening to the Pandemic Podcast, where we equip you to live the most real life possible in the face of today's crises. My name is Matt Botker, and I'm joined with my good friend, Dr. Stephen Kissler, an epidemiologist at the Harvard School of Public Health, and not with Mark. He has been called into the hospital. Unfortunately, he has a lot of work to do, but good news is he sent us a little report, and we will, we will play that for you in just a few minutes. But I'm so, so glad we have Stephen back. He literally came out of the cave just probably a little bit of minutes ago. He looks really pale. Uh, <laughs> so how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing just fine, Matt. It is, uh, it's good to see you and it's good to be out of that cave, but everything's oh, going all right. Good, good. Well, before we get going, I want to make a quick announcement again. Uh, last episode, Patreon, we have a link at uh, www.patreon.com slash pandemic podcast. And if you want to help support us, we're not trying to make money on this at all. We'd love to get some more equipment uh, to help us uh, streamline our operation. We're both really busy. We're all three of us are busy people. We're trying to find ways to automate this, get better quality, and maybe get a little assistant a few times a week. We had one person who actually uh, already donated and then uh, messaged us uh, to ask if they could just give one larger donation to help us kind of get better equipment. So, uh, so thankful for that person, did not want to be named. Uh, but also, if you want to do the same thing, just go on the patreon.com, P A T R E O N.com slash pandemic podcast. You can give as little as five dollars a month. Then send a message our way, and we can send you information about our uh, 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 Venmo account, something like that. If you feel like you want to give uh, just a one-time donation, and then you can take to, uh, take off from uh, the Patreon website. Okay, so I want to start with this because uh, we're just feeling this, uh, Stephen. It's, it's been since Saturday since uh, we last spoke. A lot, a lot, a lot has happened, and I, I just want to kind of touch base right now. How are you feeling, and uh, what are you experiencing right now? Yeah, so it's uh, as as you said, it's been a very uh, it's been a big couple of days, and um, it really, as I've been sort of like processing everything that's been happening and speaking with people who I know, the thing that sort of keeps rising to the surface is that it seems like almost like the information about this and the and the and the the social response is moving even faster than the epidemic itself in these days. So I mean, I can say for sure that you know, as uh, for somebody who's been watching this epidemic spread for a while, we've sort of been you know seeing cases rise over time, but it really seems like there was this perceptual shift collectively over this past week and really just these last couple of days. And, you know, ultimately, I think that that's probably a good thing. I think that I think we're, you know, really taking this thing sort of with the right level of, of, of respect, I think, and 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 uh, with the right level of sincerity, in a sense, with our approaches. And, you know, but it, it, of course, it has led to, to quite a bit of upheaval in our lives, too, you know. So I've been working from home for a while, and that's that's not terribly difficult for me. But my girlfriend is a laboratory scientist, and, you know, she's mm. had to shut down all of her experiments. And I think I've really been struck by just how, you know, we're all sort of going through this thing together, but also each individual person has such particular ways of, you know, th- like different sacrifices that they're making and different things that they have to give up. And, you know, so there's, uh, I think that's the thing that I've been really, both uh, both struck by, but it's also been really amazing to watch people sort of rise to the challenge. I know. Yeah, it's been a huge, I think, transition. On, honestly, it's just been a little stressful. And uh, for me, just moving from working in the office regularly to at home, and mm. it's just been tough because I think just the transition, as I was talking to you off off the, the recording, that kind of going from, okay, I have my normal routine. I go to the office, I do this work, and now I have to come home and spend, allocate, reallocate a number of hours just figuring out how on earth 
do I make my work uh, virtual now? And so I have to reallocate all these hours, which is stressing me out. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I can feel my, my, my pulse rise and I feel like I'm always behind. And then for my own family, it becomes difficult. So I'm in this dungeon of a basement. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, we don't, you don't see with the podcast. Uh, you would literally think that I'm the one in the cave. Uh, and so I'm down here and I can tell it's just been tough for my family. Um, especially my boys, uh, they're first of all, tall, they're rugrats. And so I hear them pounding up above me <laughs> right now. And I hope you don't hear it, but I just, even my oldest Kieran just this morning, he got up and then he hid underneath the bed, uh, for like 15 minutes. And I can just tell it's been a hard adjustment of just daddy's home, but he's unaccessible. Uh, and so, you know, he's just asked me like, dada, dada, when will you come out of the basement? And I'm just like, oh my gosh. So it's just, it just, it pulls on your heart and it's just, it's just a tough transition and I haven't watched it yet. Uh, but, uh, one of my coworkers sent me a link and I haven't sent it to you, Stephen, yet, uh, from the children's hospital here in Denver about how to talk to kids, uh, about the coronavirus. I haven't watched it. I'll put it in the show notes if it's good. I'm assuming it is good because I trust this person tremendously. Uh, but, uh, just to help them to be able to adjust. Um, and also honestly, my biggest, and this is what I'm going to tap you in. We talked about this before, uh, we, we record it. It's just my biggest, like I'm unnerved, unnerved, Stephen, with grocery shopping, uh, because like we can't get anything, uh, through Instacart. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's just a place where you can like go, you know, have somebody get your groceries for you. There's days and we get it canceled now, but so we have to go tomorrow morning and, uh, you know, it's just like we, we have food, but we just want ground beef. That's all we want. And it's just so hard to get. And, uh, we're afraid to be exposed. My mother-in-law is feeling anxious a little bit, maybe just because, you know, we want to make sure she has the proper food. Uh, and I know she's uh, relying on ground turkey and all this stuff, and we want to make sure we can get it to her. She has plenty of it. So I'm just nervous about going. We're going to go early tomorrow. We have a, a blizzard uh, apparently coming our way, <clears throat> which I think is to our advantage, maybe. We have a big car, a four-wheel <laughs> drive that we can go and nobody else will go. But I want to pick your brain just for a second about, like, so I'm going. I'm going tomorrow. I'm going to leave at 6.30 a.m. with the boys. They'll stay in the car. I'll go. I mean, I hear this stuff about you know, wear a mask. And then everybody's saying, or the, you know, you, the United States is really saying don't wear a mask. And so is this propaganda like this so that we can keep the masks, you know, which I really get for the medical professionals, or is there something about this that actually is true? Yeah. So, um, that's a great question. So the, you're absolutely right that, you know, there's, there, there is sort of a shortage of, of masks right now and that the people in the hospitals really, really need them right now. And it, there's been a lot of you know pledges um, on the level of the government to to increase mask production and that sort of thing. But but as it stands, there hospitals I know for sure are, are preparing for a shortage. So if you you know if if you don't have masks, I would say that it's definitely not necessarily necessary to go out and get one. And and that's actually reinforced by sort of individual level evidence too. So there've been a number of studies that have come out that suggest that you know first of all, those of us who aren't medically trained don't often know how to wear masks. And even if we do. It often ends up being the case that we end up adjusting the masks and we touch our face, faces <laughs> even more than we would otherwise yeah. uh, because we're wearing these masks. You know, it's, it takes a, a really a, a remarkable amount of training to, <laughs> um, to avoid doing that. And, uh-huh. um, and so uh, from, from the studies that have been done sort of on, on, a, on a whole, people often end up getting infected just as easily, you know, and even more so when they're wearing masks than when they don't. So I think both in the sense of like helping to make sure that the supplies are going to the people on the front line in the hospitals and also just that um, 
the evidence isn't strong that a mask wearing around a mask in public will really protect you from infection. Mm. Now, there is evidence that wearing a mask will protect other people from infection if you are feeling ill and going out. So if that's the case, I would very highly recommend wearing a mask and, and you know, if you're able to. But the other direction, the evidence, I would say, is pretty mixed. And so, you know, I, I think that you'll probably be all right. Okay. And that reminds me. So uh, Mark shared this with me. I post on Facebook. I'll put it in the show notes. I think I'll find a way to put it in the show notes. But it was this really serious graph of all the different kind of beards and uh, facial <laughs> hair that will not work with a mask. And I had right. no idea there were so many names, like just for <laughs> beards. There, there, And so my, my, my goal for this podcast, I want to somehow create this image on Facebook or some platform by which you can tag people, right? In the image that you know that has that particular kind of facial hair, and let's find one person per facial hair like um, composition. This would be a great <laughs> way to fill our time when we're at home. So, yeah, what do you got right now, Matt? What is it? What, what would you mine, call that? Mine's, I think mine's just a full beard, and so okay. it's according to that image, I'm at risk. Yeah. So uh, I either have to like, <laughs> yeah. I realize if I wanted to keep my beard, because if I shave my beard. I look really, really, really bad, Stephen. Like it's like <laughs> I look like a really overweight, super pale child. So, <laughs> so, um, which I guess I guess everything up to the child part is is, is terrible. But I wouldn't mind being a little bit youth, more youthful. But I could I, instead of getting my beard, I figured, what what if I just shave like a ring where the the mask actually goes and attaches in the side of my face, and just shave that little area, like a little circle around my whole mouth. But yeah, maybe it, it'll be a new style, you know? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll bring it in, a new hashtag. That's what our decade will be known for. <laughs> yeah, totally that, of all things. <laughs> yeah. We're like, yeah. Um, but, you know, this is a good time to maybe bring in Mark, because we just talked about face masks, and uh, and uh, uh, Stephen was talking about the limited resources available uh, to medical professionals, and that we really don't want to, unless we have to, um, be purchasing all these face masks so that we can actually give it to the, to the right people who need it, who's actually going to be in the midst of these people infected with the coronavirus. So I want to bring in now, Mark couldn't make it, like I mentioned, he is at the hospital right now dealing with a lot of uh, incoming patients. So we're going to give you a recording right now of Mark in an update as of this morning about what he's experiencing at the University of Colorado Hospital. Hey guys, I'm headed into the hospital now, uh, helping out this week with one of our, what we're calling our COVID rule-out services. So these are hospital medicine services that are taking care of patients who are sick enough to be hospitalized for whatever reason. It may be a lower respiratory tract infection or some other reason, and then who also have risk factors or signs and symptoms that are suggestive enough of a need for testing that will go ahead and send the COVID test. Uh, and so we've seen an increase in volume of these sorts of patients over the last couple of days, um, which means you know essentially that we're shifting some of our personnel to serve on these particular services and try and help maintain a safe, uh, safe pace where we're taking care of the patients, making sure that they're safe and getting what they need, and then also making recommendations about need for quarantine uh, if, if that's the case uh, and doing all the testing that needs to happen. So, uh, you know, a couple things that we've seen in the hospital, there's definitely a significant emphasis on safety for everybody. So we have had a lot of training about personal protective equipment or PPE and donning and doffing the equipment, as they call it, um, how to put it on and off safely as you go in and out of these rooms. Uh, there is some concern that we are 
experiencing already or going to experience soon some shortage in some of the items of personal protective equipment. So we're doing a lot as a hospital system to try and minimize waste uh, and really um, be very, very uh, attentive and good stewards of the resources that we have just because the volumes have already started to increase. Uh, and I would anticipate, you know, over the next few days, weeks, and maybe potentially more, we'll see ongoing increased volume. So we'll have to be very, very conscious of the resources available from that standpoint. So far, you know, we've seen, unfortunately, one of the big bottlenecks that we're seeing is the testing time turnaround. It's taking quite a long time to return these uh, PCR tests. And one of the downstream effects of that is that we have patients who are medically stable for discharge, uh, but who can't yet return to either their assisted living facility, uh, home with home health care, to their outpatient dialysis units because these tests are still pending. Um, and so that puts a little bit of strain downstream on the system uh, because we need to move these patients so that we can see other patients who are, little, who are coming in and who are ill. Um, and so that's one of the, the challenges I think that we're everybody's working towards is a little bit increased testing time turnaround, and I think that would be one of the biggest things that would help us in this situation. You know, the things I've seen amongst the teams, there's definitely a sense of kind of gearing up. Uh, everybody's checking in on each other. Um, there's a lot of really tremendous leadership. Um, from both the top down, but also from sort of the individual providers who uh, are stepping in and, you know, taking these roles and kind of figuring it out from the ground up because everything's changing so quickly. I think, you know, as we've experienced on the outside, uh, you know, same, same is happening on the inside and we're getting, you know, new news and new situations and new obstacles uh, and everybody's kind of trying to to figure that out and uh, develop best practices that we can then pass on to the next providers who are taking care of these patients so so I'm going to go in now and we'll see kind of how things settled out overnight uh, and you know just hoping that we all have a good day and hope you guys have a good day and we'll talk soon alrighty bye okay so Mark Give us a report of what's going on right now. Stephen, so I'm going to talk to you. Okay, well, we hear about the limited resources and how they're having to deal with modifications and uh, so they can protect themselves and still be able to care for those who are infected. Uh, but the biggest thing that, that came to my mind when he was speaking is this idea of the test kits and that this is kind of posing a problem in the hospitals. I didn't even think about this. That, that apparently, I mean, I thought, I don't know, we were talking about this, Stephen, a week ago or so about mm -hmm. this, uh, uh, that we should be, we're seeing advancements in test kits and the, and the turnaround time is going from days to hours. But it seems as though Mark is saying that's not necessarily the case, that, that people are having their tests and they're having to stay at the hospital, even though they could go back home until they're actually uh, given the negative or positive result to this. So can you tell me, like, what's the update on the test kits? And uh, is there any kind of hope that we could expedite this pretty quickly? Yeah. So the as far as I'm aware, the, the there's... You know, it still stands from what we were talking about last time that there's been a lot of work and a lot of real ingenuity put into the into developing these tests. So, the the problem right now that I see is is that there's there's sort of a mix between the amount of time that it takes to run a single test and also the throughput of the test, which is basically the number of tests that you can run in batch. So even if you know a test might take a couple of hours to run right now, the number of tests that you're able to run at once in those couple of hours might be relatively limited. Mm -hmm. And so as you're running those in sequence, then you sort of get this long line of tests that um, 
the, that then you end up with a backup of that variety. Mm-hmm. So right now I think it's a matter of just you know getting more instruments and into the hospitals and health public health labs that are able to run these tests, which is something that people are actively working on, and just developing tests that are both faster but also allow for higher throughputs of the of the tests. And so, I mean, that's an area where there's been a lot of research, and I think that definitely over the next few weeks we should be seeing pretty rapid expanses in our ability to run these tests. Um, unfortunately, we're just sort of just just running to try to catch up right now and i'm hopeful that we will we'll reach that point soon but um we're you know just just trying to ramp up efforts right now and it's um we're getting there but it's going to take a little bit more time i think and, and this kind of gets in the transition because i i think i saw i read an article again i don't know how how true this is but seeing the um Gosh, the advancement of South Korea and how well they've done uh, in trying to now is trying to curb this. And they, and I guess one of the articles attributed largely to how quickly they were able to do these tests and find out who they were so they could help contain those people. And that was a large part, at least this, this article pr- proposes, a, l- a large part of their equation for trying to, to quickly help get this under the control. And I want to bring this as a transition then, because we don't have that luxury right now. Now, like Stephen said, in a week or two, we might. Uh, but what we do have in our control is this, this uh, as you see, as Stephen was talking about, like this huge shift from last week to this week, from everything is business as normal to everything is being shut down. And this idea of trying to level the curve, flatten the curve, and uh, to, to increase social distancing. So I want to pick your brain. You've been hard at work for the past weekend and nonstop trying to release this article on social distancing. So I want to, I want to get your brain to understand like, where are we at? Like why, why do outbreaks first and foremost, like the coronavirus, why do they spread exponentially? What does that mean for us? And, and like, why do days matter and how are we going to best level this, this curve, flatten this curve as quickly as possible. And what I really want from you, Stephen, I think what most everyone wants to know is how long do you think this is going to take? Yeah, great. Those are all great questions. And, um, you know, ones that I've been getting from all sorts of different people. So, uh, uh, let's maybe start with your question about the, you know, why, why are outbreaks exponential and like, what does that, what does that actually mean? Um, cause I think that that's been really prominent and that, that really motivates like why we need to act so quickly to, to, to flatten this curve. So, um, I think it makes the most sense to think about the spread of an outbreak, um, sort of on an individual level. So with the coronavirus, we imagine that, you know, one person who gets infected on average is going to infect two others. But as soon as those two people become infected, then they infect four others, and then those four infect eight. And so that's what we mean by exponential spread. Basically, there's this constant doubling that's happening of the epidemic. And so it's <laughs> exponential growth is 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 unbelievably fast um and and it can really sort of sneak up on you because it sort of like bubbles along for a while and you get numbers that you know that 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 you can sort of hold in your head very easily but then all of a sudden you know a thousand becomes you know 10,000 becomes 100,000 you know very quickly and and we're not at that point yet with with the coronavirus outbreak but that's that's what that's what would happen if we weren't to do these sorts of social distancing measures so once the numbers start getting large they end up getting very large and so our goal right now is 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 to basically cut down that rate of growth as much as we can, and and if we can even even bring it down such that the epidemic starts to turn over and uh, and the numbers start to decline, and that's that's what we've started to see, for example, in in many places in China where um, they they have gotten you know substantial control over their outbreaks and and they are starting to decline. Mm. 
so I think it's helpful to think about these uh, about epidemics sort of in, in terms of these phases that we go through. So there's sort of this emergence that we saw where we first started seeing these couple cases of atypical pneumonia in China, and then it started to enter this exponential growth phase there, but it was geographically limited. And now we're sort of in the phase where the exponential growth is now sort of distributed around the world. Um, you know, and again, there are many places that are starting to see declines, but by and large, many places are seeing rises. And uh, you mentioned that uh, a number of countries like Singapore were able to sort of stay on top of this um, a little bit more easily. Um, and that was largely you know, due to their, their huge testing capacity. Um, and you're absolutely right. Um, and for, for a number of reasons that we, we spoke about in, in our previous podcast, um, we just haven't quite been able to keep up with that rate here in the United States. Um, and like I said, I think we're catching up. And I think that as we do catch up, we're going to also enter this phase where, you know, we're doing a lot of social distancing, but we're also doing a lot of surveillance to try to sort of stamp out these local outbreaks as they occur and hopefully do a very targeted approach to start bringing the number of infections down over time. So that's really why this, this, this testing is so critical, um, you know, both from an individual perspective. I mean, you want to know whether or not you've been infected, but also from a public health perspective, it's really this testing that will allow us to sort of turn on the lights and see what's going on. And then, uh, you know, it would prevent this exponential growth from getting too far out of hand, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. and, and so then, I guess, Stephen, how aggressive should we be, just for the sake of the audience, like, what do you think, how aggressive, and then how long do you think this will last? Yeah, so I think that there's sort of two scales that I can answer that question on. So first, I think that during this initial sort of stage of social distancing, we should really try to be as, you know, as strict with it as possible, because the places that have gotten control over it really have done pretty substantial social distancing. So I think that we need to be prepared for you know, at the very least, four to six weeks of this now. And the reason I'm saying that is because we've seen um, both from the modeling that we've been working on and also from various countries that have implemented these social distancing measures is that after you start doing your social distancing, there's usually a lag of on the order of three weeks before um, you start seeing declines in the number of people going to hospital. And that's just because of the normal course of the illness. You know, the people who are going to hospital now were infected probably, you know, a week to two weeks ago. And so as, as we impose these social distancing measures and get used to them, cases are going to continue to rise. And that might make us think, you know, like, what are we doing? This isn't working. Well, we need to, we need to sort of enter into this for a slightly longer haul because there's hope that, you know, if, if we do this social distancing now, cases will rise for another probably couple of weeks, but then hopefully we'll start to decline. Mm -hmm. And then once we see when that decline happens and the degree to which that decline happens, then we'll be able to sort of adjust and say, okay, how much, how much is actually necessary? And then we can start to take tailor our approach as the year goes on to figure out how much is going to be needed. On the second scale, you know, since since the entire population basically is still susceptible to this virus, there there are a lot of people who who it can still spread to. And I think that it's we're probably going to be doing some degree of social distancing, maybe sort of on and off social distancing, maybe some sort of sustained mid-level social distancing. But I think we need to be prepared for at least you know some level of this probably throughout much of the rest of the year. I think this is it's hard to hear this, but I just had um, someone uh, text message me. Uh, kind of asking me this question, Stephen, exactly this, like uh, some of our staff and the people are thinking that, oh, you know, we'll do this for three or four weeks when we back to business as usual. Uh, and that, but not facing the fact that this could be a long run for us. And that's not to be something to be like scared about. But as, as my, uh, my coworker mentioned, it, it actually kind of helps her to understand, okay, we're in this in the long run, let's just commit to it. So then I can reallocate those resources to figure out how I'm going to like stay in this mode off and on until uh, Stephen said you were said either we get the vaccine or some kind of antiviral 
medication, right. I'm assuming when we get that. So this reminds me, you've got to share this. Can you talk about uh, the, the Italian thing, right? Because they're, they're more, are they more extreme right now, right? Than us, right? On lockdown, right? That's, That's right. Yeah. So Italy, Italy for some time has been um, on, on an even you know more substantial lockdown than, than we're undergoing here in the United States by and large, essentially where only, uh, only grocery stores and pharmacies are open at the moment. And otherwise people are expected to remain at home. And there's a number of you may have seen it, but there's, there's a video that came out of, um, this was Spain, which has just oh, recently Spain. basically taken up those same measures. <laughs> the, someone tried to, you know, escape their sort of quarantine by, by dressing up in an inflatable T-Rex costume. And then we're sort of wandering the streets of Barcelona, um, <laughs> uh, because you know, awesome. the, the, the sort of the social distancing measures only apply to humans in theory. And I think they also made a list of animals that could potentially become infected from the <laughs> virus, but, but T-Rexes of course were not on that list. And so they figured they'd be safe by going out and trying to get themselves a gallon of milk. I don't know what they were up to, but <laughs> it's, so um, it's really awesome. a pretty charming video. And, and unfortunately the police and the police told them that they should return home and they were very, you know, <laughs> accepting of it. But so I wouldn't recommend that as a way of trying to escape this sort of social distancing thing. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the evidence also suggests that T-Rex costumes don't protect you from infection yeah, or, or others. That, so that's not, just, that's, just be cautious out there. That's not the equivalent uh, to an N95 or whatever those masks are, right? So that's right. Not, not quite. Not quite. <laughs> Oh, that's great. And then that gets me now, by the way, just FYI guys. So sorry, Stephen, every once in a while breaks out for a second and sometimes we'll re-record something that's so short that it's no big deal. I kind of find my way to edit. It's still uh, with, uh, with Skyping, uh, we get these little, these little clips. So I apologize that. So thanks for hanging with us. But the one thing I want to pick you before we kind of land the plane here, pick your brain on is uh, you just said like Spain just kind of started following suit with this. Do you expect shortly the U.S. to kind of uh, follow similar kind of the next level of measures of uh, quarantine or staying in the house and not going out? Yeah, you know, I uh, I expect it to happen at least locally. The sorts of measures that we've been seeing across Europe, um, to my understanding, are are really only legally feasible sort of at the state jurisdiction and lower. So we can see these things starting to happen at, in cities and in states. I I don't know that there will be a federal mandate to do this sort of thing, and I'm not even sure that that would necessarily make sense, just how geographically diverse this outbreak can be. Um, but I do imagine that we will be starting to see that sorts of things in some of the real hot spots of infection. Um, and probably, you know, just something for us to be prepared for. It may not happen, but again, there's, it's 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 worth bearing in mind that this this could happen, you know, in the coming days and weeks. And so, uh, you know, we can look to Europe and and both the way, you know, what's been going on there, but also the ways that people have been coping with it to sort of see as a guide for 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 what we can do here. And to kind of get things close things off here, uh, I just want to talk about this idea of limited resources. I, you know, where is the gift? In this? And this is the why I called up Stephen when I saw his Facebook and called up Mark. And then I think while this is not what anybody wants for this world, I do think there's a really profound gift and opportunity here. There's something that we need to ask ourselves every single day when we wake up in the morning is what, what does this make available for me? What, do, what does this provide for me um, to elevate my own well-being? And it's a hard question to ask, but I'm so convinced that this is an opportunity for growth for just as a general individual and as a society and as a community and the world to come together that I just feel so convinced that we need to offer this podcast and these, uh, these, these opportunities to hear the truth as well as how to build remain grounded. So to land the plane on this, how to remain grounded, what a great opportunity to realize that we don't have unlimited resources. That's just a complete lie. And that 
there's an opportunity, right, to, to, to reflect now that, okay, we're seeing this on, on a very existential level. Like, we're, you know, I might not get my ground beef tomorrow, right? Now, now, it doesn't mean that there's no more ground beef in the world. It's just that they haven't restocked it. So it's a little bit not quite as intense as like a third world country, right? We live in a first world country from the U.S. here. But it still uh, provokes this idea that we just can't have everything when we want it. And uh, I, I encourage you. I love this book. It's called The Toyota Way. And Toyota is a profound, profound business and organization that developed this whole idea of lean manufacturing that actually developed a whole process that I'm sure they're actually suffering the least because they thought through this idea that if if a particular uh, country that offers their their uh, material the, to, to, to bring about cars were to have an epidemic, they thought this through years ago of how do we spread out are places by which we need to um, bring in resources to build our cars so that if something does happen, we have other places around the world to get this. And they do this in a way called lean manufacture. It's all about reducing waste and to live more simply. So my big encouragement to you is use this opportunity to see where is the waste in your life, right? So the first and foremost is the material waste. (laughs) My wife and I are talking about this is like totally practical, right? My wife and I are talking about how can we use um, paper towels less <laughs> because oh, we have a limited supply and Lord knows when I'm going to be able to time it perfectly to go to the grocery store when they're actually there or have them delivered. So this is kind of provoking the bigger questions of, okay, starting there with a simple thing, how can we use paper towels less and not use them all the time? And then begin to go deeper in the reflection. Use this opportunity a half hour a day of where's the waste in my life? I mean, gosh, the emotional waste with anxiety. I know it's tough, but it is an utter waste. It drains you. I know I'm feeling it. It drains mm-hmm. you. It feels like you. It's like, oh, gosh, I don't want to do anything today. I have no no momentum. And it just perpetuates the problem. Now you have, you know, right? <laughs> You're like, I'm just anxious. I don't know what to do. And now the house is all a mess and I didn't clean the toilet yet. And it's been three weeks and this things compound. And then of course we know this idea that the more you have clutter in your house, the more things are disorganized and dirty, the more the environment facilitates anxiety and stress. And so to, to look back and say, how am I, how can I decrease the waste? If you're feeling anxious, you know, I've been starting to do this more intensely. I really encourage you, man. Headspace is one of the best apps I have that available on my iPhone or any, any, any um, uh, app you can probably get on Android. That is such a good way to take a step back and literally, I love the word, get some headspace. Uh, take back, uh, center yourself, get, kind of watch your thoughts go back as a bystander, not get sucked into them, to get that margin, that space to readdress reality um, in a more concrete, real way. So I really encourage you guys, totally take a step back. Think about the waste, the emotional waste, the, the physical waste, the financial waste that you may be doing, uh, and, and make a plan right now to live more simply. So when we come out of this, We'll have a much more simple life, which I guarantee is going to be way, way more enjoyable. Okay. That's great. Any last thoughts, buddy? I absolutely agree. And I, um, that's, I think you just ex- expressed my own hopes as well too, you know, that, that the, the sort of solidarity that we come through recognizing that like our own consumption is linked to the consumption of everyone around us and that, you know, by, um, by going through this, it's to hopefully reframe it to not being, you know, deprived of the things that we love, but rather, you know, sort of giving them up for the, for the sake of the people who might need them more and giving them up for a time so that we can really free ourselves from them and realize, you know, like what is actually essential. Great. Well, in the show notes, I will put in the Toyota away book so you can see it i will give the beard image if i can and uh and uh, steven will give me the t-rex link uh, so i can find that if you have any questions for us uh steven kissler uh, on twitter uh, s-t-e-p-h-e-n-k-i-s-s-l-e-r me on twitter 
M-A-T-T-B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R. If you have any questions about the podcast and the episodes, please, if you can, help support us just to get up running and make this streamlined, make this easier for us so we can I can spend less time editing and more preparing for these uh, in the midst of all the other responsibilities I have. Again, patreon.com slash pandemic podcast. Message us through there. And if you want to give a one-time gift, feel free to do that through that context as well. Well, thank you for listening and we'll see you in two days. Take care.